Welcome to Leveling Up, where you'll learn from leading experts in talent development and explore how leaders in some of the world's most successful businesses approach employee development, manager training, and more. Please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode. You can also listen on our website at levelingup.co. Welcome, everybody. You're listening to Leveling Up. And today I have with me Jordan Peace. Jordan is the CEO and co-founder at Fringe. Well, Jordan, thanks for being here. I'd love to start off by having you introduce yourself a little bit. Yeah, I really love being here and big fan of Marlo. And just thanks for having me, Mary. But yeah, so getting started with Fringe, it really came about from my work as, and this will come off kind of boring, but as a financial advisor. So for, I don't know, seven, eight years I would talk to mostly Gen X, Gen Y folks that were trying to figure out their, you know, their job track and where they're headed and should I change jobs? And it was funny to me that as I talked finances with people, they often, the thing that when I said, what do you want to talk about that you don't understand that's a black hole for you? It was benefits. Nine out of 10 times, I don't understand my benefits. I don't understand how to take advantage of them. I'm considering a new job and I don't know whether they have better benefits or this one does. And it's just an area that I think for, especially for young people, we look at it and we go, Hey, I'm not sick. You know, so unless I get sick or get disabled or die or get to 65 years old anytime soon, these benefits don't benefit me necessarily. Right? Like what about the more practical daily needs? And it just clicked one day that, Hey, companies are spending so much money on benefits that don't meet needs now, but have a huge price tag attached to them, right? And I'm not knocking those benefits, they're very necessary. But my thought was, what if we could bring something to market with a low actual cost, but a really high perceived value? And that's where the idea of Fringe came about, that, hey, what about subscription services? What about other services or people could access, whatever the case may be, from childcare to coaching to grocery delivery to streaming services that would make a real impact today and not cost an arm and a leg for their employer? What types of benefits did you start with as you kind of came into this? What, what were the first ideas? Yeah. I mean, the first ideas, honestly, it was probably a list of... I bet we had a hundred on a list and it was very, very diverse right from the jump because the whole concept was if I've got more than 10, 20 employees, there's really no way I'm going to be able to go out and source a vendor for each and every one of them, right? The vendor management around that for HR folks and, and so forth, it's just impossible. So the whole theory was everyone wants something different. And even an individual is going to want something different over time as they go through their career, as their family changes, they have children, whatever the case may be. And so right from the jump, it was everything, like I said, from streaming services to childcare, to massage, to financial planning, of course, because that was my backdrop and just so many different ideas that we had in mind. And what was cool was that these services were just exploding in the marketplace. Some of them were B2B, like we have a student loan repayment benefit called Goodly. It's a B2B service, right? We added that in, but there's a lot of B2C services that we were able to say, hey, Netflix, Uber, you're not necessarily for business, but we're going to apply it to business through offering you to an individual employee. And so that was sort of how we got started. It was just through that brainstorming and then just sort of begging and pleading for vendors to jump on a platform that had no users at the time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Give us some discounts and whatnot. Um, yeah. So I'm curious for, as you've evolved over the past mm -hmm. few years, 
how have you seen different types of benefits sort of take center stage? Is it still a mixed bag of everybody needs something a little different? Or are you seeing sort of trends, particularly given the world economy and remote work and everybody kind Mm -hmm. of sheltering in place? Yes, it's still incredibly diverse. However, during COVID, there have been some themes. So one, as you might imagine, that's super simplistic is grocery delivery and meal delivery. So things like DoorDash and Shipt and Instacart and Uber, you know, Uber Eats, et cetera, have been wildly popular on our platform by comparison, still incredibly diverse. Childcare and child-related things, so activity boxes or virtual mentorship and those sorts of things. And then, of course, mental health, which is no surprise to anyone, I'm sure, to hear, whether it's for an individual or maybe it's even like marital counseling or couples counseling. You know, as you can imagine, for couples, they're just around each other (laughs) 24-7, some extra angst may built up over the course of the last 12 months. And so that's been popular as well. So yeah, there definitely have been themes. And I think as we transition to a world where remote work is the norm, you're going to see more and more that employers are figuring out, I've got to find ways to touch my employees' lives and not just be concerned with what's going on from nine to five, but what's going on with their life, their family, their mental health, their career development, et cetera, et cetera. And that's going to take place not in my building and maybe not even with a program that I'm facilitating, but it's probably a vendor out there that's going to do that better then we're going to do it ourselves. And we just need to find those, source those vendors and and pay them to get it done well. It's a really cool model. And it's one that we, of course, saw a lot of value in a long time ago. But as you're looking at the future, what is it that HR leaders, the people that you're selling to, right? As they're partnering with them, what is it that they're considering when they decide whether or not to bring French on board? Are they going back and talking to their employees or how do they make that decision process? Honestly, I think... They already know that their employees want something like this. We're able to sit down and go, hey, look, 90 plus percent utilization and 95 percent engagement simply because we're offering things that people already want, already use and introducing them maybe more importantly and helping them discover things that they didn't know existed, but that they very much need or want. So that's really the easy part. What's been challenging for Fringe is that we've created a new category. We've gone out into the benefits world and say, hey, I know that back in the 1940s, health insurance was introduced. And in the early 1980s, the 401k was introduced. But categorically speaking, there's not been a new category since then, right? So 40 years later, we're sitting here like, hey, we're going to introduce lifestyle benefits to the scene. And it's just a matter of getting executives to say, okay, this is a new category. We need to ascribe budget to this and serious budget to this so that we can take care of our people and not just throw out some sort of discount marketplace or some sort of voluntary offering that's like, hey, here, we sourced these things for you. Now you pay for it in full. That's a half step. And I'm glad to see companies doing that, but we really just need to provide monetarily for our employees' lives and to support them and their families. And like you said, it's really not that much. If you're willing to share, curious how much the average company spends per employee. Yeah, roughly, I'd say about $50 a month would be kind of the benefit spend. And when you compare that to $1,000 a month that you're going to pay or health insurance. But again, like that $50 
the perceived value of that is enormous. And if you took the same amount of money, $600 a year, and gave it to most employees as a raise, they'd be offended, right? Like a $600 raise is like, what? You know what I mean? But oh, as a benefit, it comes off, you know, with so much intentionality and, hey, we see you, we care for you, we see you as an individual and just has a great, great effect, a great impact on, and we've, you know, obviously surveyed for this, the sense of loyalty and connectedness to the organization. That was going to be my next question. Like, how have you seen this play out? We oh, know yeah. that one of the biggest challenges, even at Marlowe that we have is helping the leaders who are making these decisions, but need to get buy-in from more senior leaders. Mm. How do they go about communicating? Like, yes, there's the obvious that like, people need these benefits. They're going to enjoy yeah. them for us. It's people need coaching, but they get into that boardroom or whatnot, and now they have to really pitch this. How do you arm yeah. them with that information? There's the soft and there's the hard value, right? So the soft value is what you just mentioned. Our people need this. It's the right thing to do. But I think that sometimes as executives, we can forget when we're in our boardrooms and when we're sitting in our board meetings, right? I mean, it's all spreadsheets and it's all math. We forget what got us the numbers that are on those spreadsheets. And those are our people, you know, and we will throw out this sometimes vain mantra of our people are our most important asset. But if we really believe it, then we're going to invest in that. And because we invest in that, we get the best people. We get engaged people. We get people that refer their friends that, not shockingly, tend to be of similar values and somebody that's going to also come in and work hard and gel with the community because they're friends with somebody that already does. And so I think we have to equip those HR folks and whoever it is that's going into the executives and say, hey, here's the talk track here are the numbers, here's the soft value, and here's the hard value. And it's not an easy thing to do. You know, it's something when we first started, just for anybody listening that's building a business. From a sales standpoint, we used to go in and say, okay, this HR person, they're our buyer. We need to show value to them. We need to give them a proposal. And then, hey, we're out of the process and they're going to go sell it on our behalf. And that did not work right? We had all the enthusiasm in the world. And then the thing would fall flat when it got to the actual quote decision maker, right? The check writer. And so we decided, okay, no, that's not our, our job is not finished. So what we do now is we actually have a consultation with that HR person right before they go into that meeting. And we do basically a demo of here's how the conversation should sound. And we give them a deck and we give them you know, notes on the proposal. We give them the talk track and really equip and enable them to go in and get through this objective that they know is the right thing to do. But sometimes it's difficult if you're in HR, you're going to sitting in that boardroom fighting for budget and there's salespeople over here selling for the budget that they want. Who's likely to win that battle, right? The professional salespeople after all. That was the big change that we made is that, hey, our job's not done when the our point of contact is enthused and, and ready to go. That's a really great point. How is that received? I'm curious from a sales perspective, oh, do people find it valuable? Because I think, I guess our fear would have always been, we don't want to offend right. them and no, say like, I, yeah. If anything, you know, when you're in a sales meeting and you see people's kind of like shoulders drop when they're just like, ah, like that's what I needed. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like there, there's something behind the surface that they're not showing you that they've got some anxiety about. And when we started offering that, 
that's when we got to see those shoulders drops and the relaxation come in. And it's been received incredibly well. We have not, to my knowledge, had a single prospective client say, no, I got it. You know, they always like, that would be great. Even if they are great communicators and, and so forth, they're not going to know our product like we know our product. So to get that advice on how to go and to pitch it, and it also puts us on the same side of the table with them, which I think is a really beautiful thing. That's like, at that point, when they say, yes, come help me sell it, they're now on our team and we're on their team. We're not sitting across the table anymore. And so even if we don't get that sale right now, that person has become a part of our team. And three, six, 12 months later, they're still thinking about how they're going to get it in the door. And we've had a lot of situations where, you know, you kind of mark it as closed lost, and then you go and you pick it back up in six months. And now it's a win. And it's a really quick process because you have a true champion. This is really great. Thanks for sharing that. When I think about the partners that we work with, and I think they're the roughly the same group that you're working with, yeah. your job really is to obviously what you're offering is amazing. And so your job is to make them look good too, right? And yeah. and so how, when your, your sales team is providing information to the decision makers here, what is the most common? I mean, without giving away all your secrets, sorry, now I'm like, <laughs> things okay. I can edit out later. Um, <laughs> at any rate, my, where I'm going with this is, how do you help them get to that? Yes, I'm on your team. Because you said mm-hmm. earlier that it's, they already know they need it, but... Yeah. Yeah. When do they yeah, become convinced that they'll make that decision? It's, it's simple questions, right? I, yeah. I, I think one of the best questions I've ever heard, and this is not, I'm not the source of this, is why wouldn't you do this? And it just cuts right to the heart of like, what's the thing you haven't said yet that's going to be the roadblock? And for us, because we're offering such diversity of services and things like that, it's never the offering. It's never, you don't have enough or the functionality or the UI. It's never any of that. It's always budget. Every single time it's budget. And so I just want them to say it so that we can sort of identify the enemy. The enemy is budget, not your desire or my desire, or we're not aligned. It's, it's just money. So we've got to figure out how to go get the money so that we can do the thing that we already want to do. And I think that, again, that's just a, a nice, easy way to transition from I'm selling you to we all know we want to do this. Let's go figure out how. You said earlier that you're tracking the metrics that help teams see the impact. What metrics are you using and how do you go about gathering that information for, especially for our, our audience is often rolling out their own initiatives and programs and they're trying to figure out how do I track success here? And it's not always super easy, right? It's not, it's not. And, you know, I think in our space, what everybody wants is they want their employees to feel like the initiatives that they roll out are really appreciated, that they actually improve their lives, right? That they have impact. And so it's all about what the employees say and specifically what their employees say. They're impressed by so-and-so got 95% utilization and -and so-and-so employee NPS score went up by 20 points. That's great, but it doesn't mean nearly as much as your people said and let me give you some quotes, depersonalized, but like, let me give you some quotes from them. Let me give you your, your NPS score as that's changed every few months as we're tracking that, you know, and other stories that have been shared about, oh my gosh, I use my fringe points to do this for my mother-in-law who's going through a hard time and yada, yada. Those stories are so powerful and they get to realize what that impact would not have happened. And then of course, it's just ammunition, right? They take that, they go right to the executives and they go, look, 
look what we did. And by the way, can I have some more money? Because we're <laughs> <you're> right. Because <laughs> there's other ways I want to use this, et cetera. But yeah, for us, it's it's sentiment data, it's utilization, it's that ENPS, if you will. And also we just really engage the users a lot because we have a marketplace. The users have a lot of voice in our company. They're telling us what they want to see and what they, and it's not like something like UI where you ask users what they want to see in a U and then like maybe nine months later, you can adjust the UI in a significant way. It just takes a long time. But if it's a matter of, we don't want to see this vendor, right? Or we want to see the ability to gift a service to a friend. We can turn that stuff around really quickly. And so for us, at least, it helps because their employees are engaged in terms of their perception of the value of the program that they've rolled out, but they're also engaged directly with Fringe and have feel like they have a relationship with Fringe. And so it makes us really sticky as well. Just, it's going to be one of those things that's just really painful to tear out of a company because we're engaged with them routinely. Right. And, and they know that if people are using this, that, yeah, you, you don't reduce benefits if people no. actually use them. You've endured the same global pandemic as the rest of us. Yes. How were benefits perceived? You mentioned earlier that they kind of changed, but from company perspective, did organizations Mm -hmm. see an even increased need for kind of re-upping their more diversified benefits or did they, yeah, what happened there? Yeah, big time. I'm not ashamed to say we were the recipient of favorable market timing. You know, like when we got this thing started at the end of 2018, we were dangerously ahead of the market and where it was going. And I think some folks have tried to do something similar even years earlier that didn't make it. And I don't think there was anything wrong with their concept or their business model or anything like that. I think it was just early. And so, you know, what happened with COVID is that, you know, you went from having a very small amount of remote workers in an organization, if any who were, if we're honest, mostly ignored from a kind of perks and like anything outside of the traditional benefit space. If we're really honest about it, we said, oh, it's only a few people. And we're just going to justify the fact that we don't have equity in what we're bringing them versus who's at our headquarters or at our satellite offices or whatever the case may be. So the idea of all these sort of virtual benefits or ship to your home type of benefits, it was more of a nice to have 14 months ago, 12 months ago than it is today. And we didn't just accelerate by 12 months. The market accelerated by, I would guess, five years at least. Right. And the pandemic just changed. And now all of a sudden, we're not ignoring the people at home. The people at home are, are, is everyone for some organizations like yours and mine. And so all we're thinking about is how, what can we do virtually? What can we ship to their home? How do we take our culture? We package it up and ship it to their house. That's all we're thinking about as opposed to what we barely think about. And so we went from selling like pun intended, like fringe organizations that were like way out ahead culturally, way out ahead technologically to now we're selling into a much broader spectrum of companies that have accepted that future is is happening right now. When we look at the Googles of the last generation, right, of free lunches and massages and all the things that Google always offered. Is that something that organizations are wanting to become that sort of full service? Let's help you focus on work by making the rest of your life so much easier. 
or is it more about just purely finding new ways to engage employees and make them feel valued? Where do you see them draw the line? I think they better be focused on becoming a virtual version of Google because some of the reasons why we were able to employ people in the past is because they were within a 30 mile radius of our office. We had a captive audience, right? And I think we need to admit that we don't have a captive audience anymore. And so the idea of who I want to work for now expands across the country, if not the globe, Right. And so the talent pool is just very, very different. They've got way more options. And if you want to attract them, you've got to do really special, unique things. Right. And doing an extra half percent on the 401k match is going to go either over everybody's heads or it's just going to be like, you know, like you're like these older generations still trying the same things to entice me. Right. And so I think we absolutely have to get with the program and figure out that there's no such thing as a nine to five. There's no such thing as a work-life balance. There's life and work is a part of it. That's just where we are now. And it's not going to go back in the other direction, not at all. If anything is going to go further, right? And so we see our, our lives and work as part of our lives. And so if our employer doesn't engage in our lives, aka our friends, our family, our children, our household, our situation at home and what our desk looks like. And I mean, people who can't see the video on here, I'm in a walk-in closet right now, you know, with a curtain behind me, you know, like my employer fringe has hooked me up with this beautiful desk and I just don't happen to have a room to put it in, but that's enormous. And, and what we found, and this is a little off topic, but you think you'll find it interesting, is it's not just employers. We've actually been talking lately to apartment buildings and condos and joint workspaces and the co-working spaces. They're looking to add fringe in as a benefit to their tenants because we need to do more to attract people and bring them in. And so I think we have to consider those amenities as I call them, those office amenities that used to spoil Google employees, we've got to take those office amenities and figure out how to ship them home. We absolutely do. Where do you see the market for employee benefits overall moving in the next, say, two years? You, you mentioned earlier that we're jumping ahead five years, and I completely agree with you on yeah. a number of topics around remote work. Right. How, how will it continue to shift? Oh, I think completely Starbucks model. I think it's a complete here's $1,000 a month, here's $2,000 a month, get whatever you want. You want some health insurance, you want life insurance, you want an HSA, you want fringe benefits, you want whatever, just pick and choose because everyone's life situation is so, so different. I might be working part-time, full-time, gig worker, et cetera. And I think it's going to go to this complete a la carte model. I'm pretty confident about this. And I've seen some movement in the sort of in the benefit space in terms of like uh, insurance carriers and other like big names that are looking at, let's create a platform for gig workers where they can, you know, like that's in the works. Uh, I won't give it a name away in case I'd get in trouble, but I think absolutely that's coming. I don't think it's too far off at all, Um, especially given the pressure out where you are in San Francisco on the Ubers and the Instacarts and everybody else to, hey, what are you doing for gig workers? There just needs to be a way to equitably, without sort of age bias, without family bias and like parents getting more than non-parents and all this stuff to just say, 
here it's a dollar amount. What is it that you need? And have that be flexible and changeable pretty consistently, not just once a year in open enrollment, because life doesn't change once a year. Life changes way faster than that. And so, you know, I think about my wife, we, you know, we have four children, you know, so in a given year, she has not been pregnant and then she's been pregnant and then she's been very pregnant and then she's had a newborn and now, and then she doesn't feel well enough to go to the gym and then she does. And all that can happen in 12 months to one person. And so we need to be able to accommodate the entire sort of life cycle of every each and every year. So I think to answer you, this is a lot of words to answer a short question, but I see an insane amount of customization coming soon. Couldn't agree more. That example that you just gave with your wife, I think you could carry that 20 yards further in the sense that you know her needs at work change too, right? Yeah. The support yeah. that she needs, all of that. That's really interesting. We didn't talk earlier about how people can actually give friends a try. So for those <laughs> those people who are listening right now, what is it like to get started with Fringe and kind of at a high level? I didn't realize I was going to get to do a Fringe commercial. Well, I, I mean, you can. I'm, <laughs> I, think, I think there's some interest in, in, you know, specifically when you're the person who's making these decisions or going out and looking yeah. for these partners. Yeah. One of the things that we hear the most is, oh my gosh, you're so easy to work with. So, and, and I know that Fringe is too. So I want to give you an opportunity to share like what people should expect when they're working with their vendors and their, their different partners. I'd say we, the feedback we've received is we have a like stupid, easy onboarding, pro, you know, system and that literally we chat, we do a demo, you decide that you like it. We'll show you the breadth of all the vendors that are available. Everything is available for the same price. We have a high end $5 per employee per month cost. That's the cost for our platform and the service and the things that we do. And then it can be funded to really any level. We've got customers that fund 25 bucks a month. We've got customers that fund $400 a month. It really just depends on the size and scale of the organization and how many feet you want to jump in with. But we do have some that jump in with one foot, right? They do a little, what we call a lifestyle benefit spend and then maybe they also give their managers some dollars to kind of throw out there for rewards and recognition. Maybe they use Fringe for their birthday gifts and for work anniversaries and different milestones. But typically there's one if, or maybe two places they get started. And then just over the first six, 12 months, we kind of just add in programmatically. And I think what happens is that a lot of our clients figure out that they don't actually need so many platforms. Once they get friends in the door, they're like, well, I have a lot here, first of all. And then outside of that, we can do lifestyle benefits, rewards, peer-to-peer, all of it in this platform, right? So I'd say if you're looking at something like Fringe, do a demo, jump in somewhere with us, explore it, Find out for yourself that you're going to get huge utilization and engagement, and it's going to impact loyalty. Find out that that's actually true for your organization, and then we can kind of grow and expand from there, as opposed to you've got to make a massive decision up front, go out and get a massive budget from executives up front. That's really the tack that we've taken. I'd love to chat with any any listener (laughs) that wants to chat, and obviously we've got folks on the sales team that would as well. Fringe.us. And you know, it's one of those things too. Now they you don't have their contact information and they get to decide whether or not they want to talk to you. So it's a commercial for you, but also a risk for them. (laughs) I'm going to switch gears a little bit here. 
you are, of course, a leader of your own organization. And as you've navigated the past few months, I'm curious what you've been thinking about in terms of developing your own team and you know your own talent. We have a lot of learning development, talent development leaders listening here. All the ideas, they're all open ears. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, this might be not a normal answer, but the way I learn is through failure, through error, if you prefer. And so for me, we have to create a culture where people are not only allowed to, but encouraged to fail, right? So one of our like mantras is fail boldly. Don't accident, like just go. And in, I think, and that really impacts who we hire, because when I say that in an interview, that is the thing that people get the most uncomfortable about. They're like, are you sure you mean that? Right? <laughs> I'm like, I've never been allowed to make a mistake before, right? Corporate America is a lot of blame shifting and blame sharing and trying to downplay mistakes that are made. But we're not corporate America. We're a startup. And we want to operate like a startup when we're 500 employees, uh, which we're not. We're about 20 right now. But we want to maintain that idea that, hey, we're all entrepreneurs. We're all guessing to an extent. We don't know the future. We don't know that we're right. We're going to try stuff. That is a piece of the development. That's not so much coaching classroom, et cetera, right? It's just trial and error. And that has to be really, really encouraged. It has to be shown by the leadership. I have to personally say, hey, let me tell you guys a story about something we tried that was my idea that failed miserably, right? And then we tried again and failed again, right? Et cetera, et cetera. So that's big. And then, you know, I think outside of that onboarding for us, and we're a young company, so we haven't had years to develop anyone yet. But in the onboarding process, we have to see them coming into the organization as something that is like their job for the first two, three, four weeks is not to do the job. Their job is to learn and to ask their questions and to get their fears out on the table and to figure out, you know, the job description and what it means and how they're going to handle it. And of course, to get to know the people they work with and to build bonds and and lines of communication so that they can be trained and they can educate themselves because what you can give all the people all the resources in the world but they're afraid to ask questions they can't receive the training to me it's a really a lot about culture building and it's a lot about hey we're all learners nobody's right all the time we all make mistakes especially me I'm going to make fun of myself and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to make sure that people understand that failure is, is not only acceptable, but it is our hack. It is the way that we're going to win, right? Is by being okay and setting our pride aside. And to be honest with you, Mary, beyond that, there isn't a lot yet in our young organization that just hired, we just hired 14 of those 20 people in the last few months, right? Wow, so congrats. Fundraising around, you know, it's, it's yeah. all very fresh. And so for me, it's not figured out beyond that. But you name a few important points, which is yeah. you are providing very clear expectations of these new individuals. Yeah. And, and I think new hire onboarding is the place where even the biggest organizations really start to screw it up if they're not careful outlining expectations, giving people a framework to work with. If the goal is for them to understand that they need to ask questions and that's very explicitly shared with them and you know, told to them, and then you 
back it up with actually like making it safe for them to do this, do so. That's the biggest hurdle for for many professionals is they don't understand the expectation. They're afraid to mess up. Mm-hmm. They're afraid to ask the wrong question or ask the question to the wrong person at the wrong time. They don't want to be a nuisance. Like all those things are on your mind, whether you are the new vice president of sales or whether you're the new intern, right? And right. everything in between. So huge there. So that's amazing that you've already identified failure as your, your team's thing and, and figuring yeah. out how to do it quickly. Safety, trust, right? Psychological mm-hmm. safety, all of that kind of comes with it. Well, congrats for your rapid growth. Uh, have you started using French for all your employees? I imagine that was the first. Oh yeah, <laughs> oh yeah. Day one, uh, we, it's it's a big bill for us, but one that we love to pay to ourselves, so to speak. Yeah, no, it's obviously we have to. We have we not have to. We get to be really great employers. Yeah. And we also have to be right. Like if we're going to go out there and like preach this message, right. That it's all about being generous to your people and supporting their lives that we've got to do it incredibly well. And so it's, it's a big, big part of my job to think about that. If you weren't doing fringe, what would you be doing? Ooh, man. Now I'm getting uh, personal. No, no, I love it. My dream. <laughs> this is funny. My dream since I was probably, I don't know, old enough to think about business, so call it 13, 14 years old, is to own a professional baseball team, specifically the Atlanta Braves. I grew up a Braves fan my whole life, got to see some of the Hall of Famers kind of come through this area. And yeah, I'd love to do that. I love the business of baseball, which is probably to most people even more boring than baseball is, but I think it's fascinating. (laughs) And I'd love to do that someday. Are you a data geek? Is that... No, it's not, it's not so much that. I love the player development aspect of it. And I love the scouting aspect of it. Like the idea that people can go and watch teenagers play a sport and perceive what they will project to be 10 years later is fascinating. And there's data in that, but mm-hmm. there's a ton of intuition in that because it's been done long before data was a thing, you know, really successfully. So I just love the intuition and, and also baseball is an incredibly strategic game. It is, you know, a chess board with a bat and ball. And I'm a big chess guy too. So I just love the strategy. Really cool. Thanks for sharing that. I, um, my co-founder Chelsea is based in Atlanta and she, she was in San Francisco and then New York. And then she found herself in Atlanta and I'm sure she would appreciate your love for the Braves. Um, so the other question that I just ask everybody, you know, what's a piece of advice that you wish you had gotten sooner in your career? Mm, I think what it is, is, um, to not be so overly impressed by the people that you hear on podcast and that you see that write books and that have a huge following on LinkedIn, they are not special. They are not any different than you. So if you've got a big dream, just do it. You just have to be willing to fail. You have to be willing to be a little embarrassed now and then, or maybe often at the beginning. Grab the people around you that value the same things as you do and just do it, right? And don't assume that all of these people with their quote unquote fame and following know better than you. They don't necessarily know better than you. So be really careful about the people you take advice from and just go, like trust your instincts and just do it. Because I think people wait five, 10 years, and I know I did too long to say, you know what, I think I'm an entrepreneur. I'm just gonna do it. You're right, I really, we could have been having this conversation at least six or seven years ago. And I just didn't do it. 
you know, so I just don't waste your time doing less than what you're capable of. So basically ignore everything Jordan has said today because yes. he's just a person. <laughs> That's right. I, I, I have one opinion and, and maybe there's something to be taken from what I've said, but I also have a style. I have a way that I do things and I've been successful with it because it fits me. You know what I mean? And it's, it's organic and, and part of who I am, but I've seen leaders that are the polar opposite of me and they're fantastically successful, you know? So there's no real prototype and I, and I'd hate for people to get caught up in the idea that there is. I love that. I remember when I first moved to San Francisco, uh, another friend of mine who was French and had just moved here as well. If I'm honest, I think he knew very little about Silicon Valley in general. He worked for Google and he said, San Francisco doesn't have rich people. Like, no, because in France, and I'm bringing this up for a reason, but in France, you know, when somebody's rich and not everybody, but you think of it as almost like they're showing up in bling and they, they've got a fancy car and they, they act a certain way and they just seem very bougie. Right. Right. And, uh, and my husband's French too. So I I pick on the French culture all the time, but you know, and and it occurred to me that a lot of, especially today, our generation the people who are the most successful aren't necessarily the person on Instagram or the person who is on the podcast, right? A lot of times they're really quietly crushing it. They're putting in those long days and making sure that it happens and then pushing their dream forward and not going out and necessarily asking for tons of credit. And so often I find that it's the people who are the most in your face that you're seeing everywhere. Right. They're not necessarily the person you should yeah. be listening to. Go out and seek those people who are a little quieter about it. I mean, yeah. listen to both, but um, yeah, I, I completely agree. Yeah. I mean, if, if someone doesn't need you to like them, doesn't need the fame, they yeah. probably have some true, genuine confidence that you can learn from. But if there's a real need to be celebrated all the time, there's probably something behind that. You know, there, there's probably some, uh, a whole lot of self-doubt that's being kind of propped up. But, yeah. Uh, Interesting. Yeah. Last question. What resources do you lean on when you're you know, finding it hard to get things done or you're feeling like you need a boost of motivation? What do, where do you go? For me, I have four co-founders. So there's me and there are four others, which is pretty abnormal, but they're my people. You know, <laughs> like I go to them with the personal stuff, with the business stuff, with the emotional stuff, with I'm overwhelmed. I, the way I am, I'm just willing to show weakness. And, and I get that I'm supposed to be the leader and I'm supposed to be able to listen to 40 podcasts a day and read 100 books a year. Wake up at 4 a.m. But yeah, all that stuff. I don't do any of that, by the way. But to me, People are just ready and willing to help if you're just willing to be vulnerable, you know? And so whether it's my wife or whether it's my coworkers or my friends, I just go and I show that vulnerability. And there's always wisdom and advice and encouragement just right on the tip of their tongues. That's the thing. And it's kind of back in that same theme of like, just don't peacock around like you have it all figured out. Like just be flawed. That's another mantra we have. Be flawed. Don't front. That's another one of our like forward little little sayings in fringe. And uh, and I try to lead in that way, you know, really well. And so it's my co-founders, I think. And of course, of course, my wife. Awesome. Jordan, thank you so much for everything you've shared today. And I appreciate your time and for being here with me. Yeah, I really enjoyed it, Mary. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. We're on Stitcher, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Head over to levelingup.co to join our newsletter and to find past episodes.